Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the testimony of FBI Special Agent Matthew Wilde and began our look at the direct examination of Nathan Tootin, a close friend of Paul Murdoch's who is a law enforcement officer for the Walterboro, South Carolina Police Department. In this installment, we conclude our review of Mr. Tootin's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. 2023, in the footage, Paul Murdoch records his dog Cash and two other people can be heard in the background. Every witness to review the video has concluded that the other two voices belong to Maggie Murdoch and Alex Murdoch. With all of those testimonies, the video has become powerful evidence placing the defendant with Paul and Maggie just before they are murdered. After the video plays, Prosecutor Fernandez continues his questioning of the witness. Did you hear voices on that video that we just played? I did. Whose voices did you hear? Paul Murdoch's, Maggie Murdoch's, and Alec Murdoch's. Could you tell where they were located in that video? Did you get a sense of where that was? Dog kennels. Okay. The kennels down at the uh, hangar area? That's correct. Uh, we heard yelled out a, um, a name called Bubba. Are you familiar with Bubba? I am. Who's Bubba? That'd be Paul's dog. Okay. And what kind of dog is he? A yellow lab. Is he a trained, well, was he a trained, was, he, was he a house pet or a, a pet? At that time, yeah. Was he also trained to, to hunt or be a hunting dog or bird dog? That's correct. Did Bubba have a, well, describe Bubba. How would you describe Bubba? Hard-headed. <laughs> Did Bubba have a thing where he liked to chase chickens? I'd say so, yeah. If a chicken got out of the pen, would he chase it? That's correct. Have you ever been there when he caught chicken? He would chase, chase anything. He'll ch- chase. You ever there when he caught birds, though, that were coming out of that coop? I mean, he's tried. Has, could I say I've seen him? No. Were you aware then that Bubba, have you been, were you aware that Bubba would chase those chickens? I, absolutely. And had you been aware that he'd killed chickens before? By getting I am. Them? Have you ever had to wrestle anything out of Bubba's mouth or try to catch him when he doesn't want to be caught? Try to catch him. And if he doesn't want to be caught, what's going to happen? Not catch him. (laughs) 
Did you um, begin working at the law firm um, we've heard called PMPED? That's correct. Right, when did you start working? I believe it was February of 2019. Okay, and what was your what was your job there? I was a runner. Runner for the law firm in general. That's correct. Kind of um, without specifically not yet talking about the work you did for for Alex, but what what kind of work would you do there generally? Be a courier for court documents to different courthouses and law offices across the state, assist paralegals and attorneys with really whatever they needed, just help around the office. And you worked there from 2019, and when's the last time you worked there? I want to say it was May of 21. So, at, so May of 2021. Excuse me, 2022. 2022. So you, you would have continued to work there through the, um, the tragic events of June 7th, 2021? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So you saw the upheaval at the law firm as well. You witnessed that? That's correct. I'm going to direct your attention to the weekend uh, leading up to June 7. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the uh, any communications you would have had with Paul leading up to June 7? Did you all talk any leading up to it? To the best of my memory, we spoke that Saturday. I think he called me over the weekend. Did it seem like a normal conversation? Yes, sir. What were you all talking about? Um, he was uh, going to Charleston, I believe, and was talking on the way. Is that the last time you talked to Paul? That's correct. How were you made aware of what happened? How did you find out? I received a phone call from my mother the night of. Not sure how she knew, but shortly after I received a phone call from one of the law partners had told me. And they, they called you because they knew you were close with Paul? That's correct. Where were you living at the time? I was living with another friend of mine in Allendale County. And uh, did you go out there that night? I did not. Did you attend the uh, funeral in Wake? I did. Is that the last time you went to Mazelle? Yes, sir. After these events, um, how did it affect you? It was hard losing a really good friend and a really good person. Prosecutor Fernandez pivots to asking Mr. Tootin about his interactions with and work for the defendant during the time he was employed at the PMPED law firm. After these events, um, I think you said already, but you continued to work at the law firm? That's correct. How uh, was Alex, was he out of the office during for a, a you know, some time leading after this uh, event on June, June 7th? That's correct. Did he eventually start coming back into the office? A little bit. Did you have an opportunity or an occasion or multiple occasions to do running for Alex? Yes, sir. All right. And this is both, this would be before the murder? That's correct. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Alex would have you do. I need to pick up court documents from different law firms or courthouses, um, driving depositions, um, cash checks, some of the things. Sorry, you said you said cash checks? That's correct. He had you cash checks for him? That's correct. All right, well, tell me, where would he send you to cash the checks? Uh, Palmetto State Bank. What were your instructions for that? Cash check. And what would you do with the money? Take it, take it back to his office, and like cash. That's correct. Is it in an envelope, or are you just holding it? 
It was in a Palmetto State envelope. And you would take that envelope of cash, and where would you bring it? Um, back to his office. Okay, and just, just hand it to him. That's correct. How many times did he have you cash checks like that? Um, very frequently. Very frequent? That's correct. Many times? Many times. Has there ever been a time where you cashed a check, brought it back to Alex's office, and there was someone in his office? That's correct. Multiple people, right? Is that correct? Correct. Tell us who those folks were that you would have been there when Alex is sending you to get cash, you're coming back with the cash, and there's someone sitting in his office. There was different occasions. Um, one particular occasion was uh, Greg Alexander. Who's he? I believe he's the chief police for the embassy. Okay. Um, Corey Fleming. Do you and know Corey Fleming? I do. What is he? What, what did he do? He was an attorney as well. Okay. And Shelly's best friend. Okay. And who else? And uh, um, Chris Wilson. And do you know who Chris Wilson is? I do. Who is he? He's an attorney in Bamberg, I believe. Chris Wilson, whose testimony we covered in episodes 56, 57, and 94 through 96 of this season, is a fellow lawyer and longtime friend of Alex Murdoch's. He worked on multiple cases with the defendant during which the defendant had misappropriated client fees, unbeknownst to Wilson. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Prosecutor David Fernandez continues to ask Nathan Tootin about cashing checks for Alex Murdoch as part of his responsibilities as a runner for the PMPED firm. When did the ca- when did Alex stop asking you to cash checks? I believe it was a few weeks um, before the murder. So a few, a few weeks. You've been doing this a lot, and a few weeks before the murder, he asked he doesn't ask you to cash any more checks. That's correct. Do you know who Jeannie Seconder is? I am. And uh, who is she and who was she at the time to you back in uh, 2021 range? She was my immediate supervisor. Jeannie Seconder was the CFO of PMPED when Alex worked at the firm. She had been investigating financial irregularities in the defendant's handling of client funds and fees in the days leading up to the murders. We covered her testimony in episodes 48 through 51 of this season, and later in episode 80. And were you ever, after the events of June 7th, were you assigned and tasked to assist her in her um, investigation of financial improprieties within the firm? In some ways, yes. All right. All right. And continuing, you, you were assigned to assist Jeannie and um, what, what, what kind of things were you doing in that you know, capacity? Um, we would look through different cases. She would have me get cases from probate court and go through and highlight clear checks and if I found a discrepancy, bring it to her. Did you understand the scope and, and what you were looking for? Did she kind of involve you in that? Somewhat. Did you figure out kind of shortly thereafter what you were looking for or what the reason was? I'd say so. I'm going to direct your attention to July of 2021. 
uh, specifically July 4th or July 4th time frame. Are you, are, you have that in your brain? I do. Did you, um, did you drive Alex to the airport? I did. Tell us about that. Why did you drive him to the airport? Well, at the time I was still a runner and he asked me to give him a lift to the airport. So that's what I did. Where was he going? I believe he was going to the Florida Keys with uh, Maggie's family. So he's going on vacation to the Keys on July 4th weekend or July 4th time frame? That's correct. And did you, in fact, drive him to the airport? That's correct. Did you have a chance? Did he say anything to you on that ride to the airport? We talked. Did he tell you anything about the boat case? He did. What did he say? He said that he would like to clear Paul's name. And do what? And beat the boat case? Beat the boat case. So now with Paul gone, he, he's talking about he can beat the boat case. That's correct. This is a month after the murder? That's correct. With that, Prosecutor David Fernandez concludes his direct examination of Mr. Tootin, and Defense Attorney Jim Griffin rises to begin his cross-examination of the witness. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It was very important, Alex, to clear Paul's name from the ac accusations in the boating case, wasn't it? I, I don't know. That's what he told you, right? That's, that's what he said, but I don't, don't know what he was thinking. Well, you know that he stood behind Paul all throughout the boating case, the criminal part, right? That's correct. And a lot of people in the Hampton community turned their backs on on Paul, didn't they? That's correct. You did it, did you? No, sir. Alex and Maggie didn't, did they? No, sir. Your brother didn't, did he? No, sir. And are you sure it was July 4th? The week of the 4th. That's correct. Okay. And he was going to Florida on a vacation and visiting with Maggie's parents, Maggie's sister, brother-in-law. You understood that? Yes. Now you're talking about um, you went and got some cash and some checks with um, for Alec, and sometimes you'd come back, give him the cash, and you mentioned that Greg Alexander was in his office one time, Corey Fleming one time, Chris Wilson one time. You remember that? That's correct. What did you do when you walk in? Just give the envelope to Alec? Yes, sir. You sit down and see what he did with the money? Not at all. Are you suggesting that he was given... Uh, Greg Alexander, any of the money? I'm not suggesting anything. Do you know if that's what the Attorney General was trying to suggest by asking you that? Objection, Your Honor. Prosecutor Fernandez objects on the basis that it calls for the witness to speculate. Judge Clifton Newman quickly sustains the objection, and Jim Griffin moves on to another line of questioning. You've known Paul, you knew Paul all his life, for the most part, correct? Correct. And how old are you? 23. And um, I think you described Alex and Maggie as kind of your second parents. That's correct. And you spent a lot of time at Moselle. Uh, you hunted with Paul. And Buster, too, I take it. That's correct. And you lived there at that cabin you, you talked about right there um, on the edge of Moselle Road, right? That's correct. Okay. And, um, and Paul's go-to guns were a three hundred blackout and a... 12-gauge Benelli that you identified here in the courtroom, right? That's correct. But now you knew that Paul's uh, 
had originally been given a 300 blackout for Christmas that got stolen, right? Correct. Did you go to the party with Paul and he had the 300 blackout in his truck? Go in the party, come back, and it's gone? Not exactly. How it happened? How did it happen? Didn't realize it was missing for a few days. And Paul would never lock his truck, would he? No, sir. And he would leave guns in his truck, right? That's correct. Um, did you did you know that that 300 blackout had been replaced? I did not. Did you? When did you learn that? This trial. During the trial. That's correct. But up until the trial, you you never knew that it it had been replaced. No. But you'd seen Paul use 300 blackout. You identified um, as his go-to gun, right? That's correct. And the 300 blackout that uh, you identified has a thermal scope, does it not? That's correct. And um, whose gun did you think got stolen? Paul's or Buster's? I would assume Paul's. Were you aware that the 300 blackout replacement did not have a thermal scope? If I didn't know about the gun, then no. So do you know whether or not this is Buster's 300 blackout sitting here in the courtroom? That is the gun that I used at Moselle. Paul normally keep guns in his truck? Correct. 300 blackout, 12 gauge, anything else? Sometimes some pistols, but... And and there are times when Paul would clean his truck out, cause it, and then he would take the guns and leave them in the shed down there by the kennels, right? That's correct. And sometimes he would forget that he left them down there, right? That's correct. And um, he would... I think you described him as being careless with leaving guns around. Is that right? I'd say so. And he'd even left fu- guns in your truck, right? Correct. Now, Paul was a guy who liked to work with his hands outside, correct? Correct. And he loved the Moselle property. Is that right? I'd say so. And, and he liked to work the land with, with equipment and plant for game management, for duck hunting and dove hunting and Things like that, right? Correct. And to do that, you know, he was um, he wasn't always on his phone, right? I mean, he liked to work with his hands. Is that fair to say? I um, wouldn't say that altogether. Take several breaks while he's working with his hands. Right. And and I think you've described it. Mean, he would put his phone down, and while he was doing some work, and then he'd forget where it was. He'd lose it. He'd go back and find it later. That's correct. That happened. Fairly regularly, didn't it? I'd say so. And and you listened to the um, video that was played. Do you hear water running in the background? I'm not sure. What kind of work would Paul do down there by the kennels? What do you mean? I mean, you know, would he if Bubba or the other dog had had messed in their dog run? Would, would he clean it up? I'd say so. Okay. And if he did that, you know, perhaps he'd put his phone down while he did that so it wouldn't get wet? I would assume so. Yeah. It's a reasonable thing to do, right? I'd say so. Okay. Now, you were close with Alex, Maggie, Paul, and Buster, that you and your brother were, right? Yes, sir. And you were able to observe Alex's relationship with Paul, right? Yes, sir. How would you describe it? I'd say it was a very loving relationship. And, um, and how would you describe Alex's relationship with Maggie? I would describe it the same. To your knowledge, did after the boating accident, did Paul receive threats of any kind? That's correct. What kind of threats were you aware of? Just 
threats that he would say people would text him. Different social media platforms, but right. didn't really go into very vivid detail or anything. I'm sorry. Didn't go into very vivid detail about anything. He just and uh, and his circle of friends got really close, tight after the boating accident. And you were you and your brother. He talked to you all frequently, did he not? That's correct. Okay. And then he he would go to Charleston to visit with friends down there, correct? That's correct. Because um, he didn't feel comfortable, you know, in the Hampton area where he he lived because of the boating accident. Is that right? He stayed away. Yes, sir. That's all I have. Thank you. With that, Jim Griffin concludes his cross-examination of Mr. Tootin and Prosecutor Fernandez rises for a redirect of the witness. Nathan, you were asked about threats to Paul. Did you ever know that Maggie received any threats? Uh, I was not aware of any, no. Counsel asked you about a little bit about kennel area and asked if you'd heard water. Are you familiar with how generally the <clears throat> kennels were cleaned? Were you there when the kennels would be cleaned? Sometimes. Okay. Generally speaking, describe the kennel for me. What was what was actually inside of one of the kennel nuts? Uh, the kennel had a doghouse, um, beds in the doghouse, and just a, kind of like a concrete pad. And if you're going to rinse off the kennels, what would you do with the dog bed? You would put it on top of the dog, dog house. Okay, and why was that? So it wouldn't get wet. And then, what, what would you just leave the dog? Would they, would the family, or any if you were cleaning it, leave the dog bed up on the top of the kennel, or are they going to bring it down when the kennel, after a certain point in time? You wait for it to dry, and then bring the bed. If the family, if you were down there, or anyone was down there at the kennel area, and it was nighttime, would you, uh, would you turn the lights on? Yes, sir. Are there sufficient lights out there to make it a fairly well lit area if all the lights are on? I'd say so. If you're at the if you're at the the main house and the lights are on down at the kennels, can you see that area from the house? Yes. Would it be very visible to you to, to see that there's lights on down there? Yes. Would the um, would the fans are there fans in the kennel area? There are. Would the fans be left on generally for the dogs? Generally. And um, again, if if anyone was down there working, would the lights be turned on? Yes. Sir. No further questions. After conferring with lead prosecutor Creighton Waters, David Fernandez reconsiders and asks one more question. The counsel asked you a question about uh, Paul's phone usage. I think he said Paul uses his hands and what he would do with his phone. Do you um, recall if Paul did, Paul did have to use his phone, would he put it in any of his pockets? If he was working outside in that capacity, the uh, pocket he would put it in would be his back pocket. And that was the common thing he would do almost nearly every time? That's correct. Nothing further. Thank you, Your Honor. With that, Nathan Tootin steps down from the witness stand. Judge Newman adjourns day 13 of the trial of Alex Murdoch, and we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty. Please join us on our next installment as we begin our look at day 14 of the trial, with our review of the testimonies of SLED agents Ryan Kelly and Rachel Wen. Also check out the Crime Story Podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. 
It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.